Amen. So let's open this word of God by turning to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. We'll be reading verses 1 through 13, uh, but focusing especially upon verse 13. Second Peter chapter three, verses one through thirteen. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth, in which righteousness dwells. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. Second Peter 3 asks and answers questions about the kingdom of righteousness. Almost all of these questions have been how questions. How will Christ's kingdom come? How long until Jesus will come back? How will the world end? How does God relate to time, and how do we relate to his second coming? <clears throat> Let me answer these questions by way of review, uh, for we are indeed parachuting into Second Peter. <clears throat> the righteousness of God in the kingdom, in the kingdom of righteousness, the future fulfillment of the prophecy of a kingdom of God, is fulfilled in the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, which is in 1 Peter 1.11. This is the kingdom which was foretold. The kingdom has already come in the church, the church which, if you are a member of this church, you are a part of, uh, at least as far as we can understand. And although we are a part of this kingdom, it is presently hidden <coughs> to the world, so that there is a greater visible to all manifestation of it in the future, which Peter says will come through the cleansing work of fire on earth. We do not know the exact time of this coming. As God is outside time, it produces no difficulty that it seems slow to some people to say, but he will come suddenly, 
unlooked for, like a thief in the night, and will melt the world in his own judgment fire. So that we've seen, especially in 2 Peter 2, that we are changed by being part of the kingdom of righteousness through union with Christ. We have this new nature, the nature that Christ gives us, the nature of the kingdom, of that future kingdom. That is how we relate to the coming kingdom. And we partake of this new kingdom nature by the grace of God. We are no longer part of this mere world below. Spiritually, we are in heaven with Christ. We are part of this nature, this uh, kingdom, <clears throat> showing that kingdom by our repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. We partake of the righteousness of that righteous kingdom to come in Christ's righteousness. Yet, this is the difficulty, Christ has not yet descended to finally bring in that kingdom. It's a difficulty for us, not, of course, for God or some kind of contradiction, but it is difficult for us to continue to live in this sinful world. This is a fact that we all have to wrestle with in this present evil age, and Peter helpfully does so here. How is it that we are part of this future kingdom of light when the rest of the world is in darkness? How is it that we are called to be rulers and yet we are persecuted? By judgment being placed upon Christ on the cross in the place of their judgment in hell, Christians are part of this covenant kingdom. That is, now that we understand better the how of the kingdom and our admission into the kingdom, we ought to turn to the why of the kingdom in this age before the second coming, which Peter turns to in verses 11 and following especially. Why are we, the church, here in the midst of the world of so much darkness and sin? Especially, why are we, future citizens of a kingdom of righteousness, not simply transported immediately into heaven upon our repentance and faith? Something that God certainly could have done. And yet, here we are. He must have a purpose in these things. So Peter changes from the how of the coming kingdom to the why of the present kingdom. Why we wait. To understand the why of the kingdom and its tarrying, let us understand what life in our age is like. How does Peter characterize it? In fact, with two words, waiting and hastening. You find these, of course, in verse 12. And, of course, waiting is also in verse 13. Let us examine this waiting which he speaks of, verses 12 through 13. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? We wait for the justice of God. We do not produce it. That is, when we judge others, and we must judge in some way, we judge according to how God has judged, with mercy, with pity, and long-suffering. This is, of course, in verses 9 and 15. We wait, and while we wait here below, while we wait for Jesus to return, we judge in accordance with the way that we have been judged. In Christ's work, with mercy, pity, and long-suffering patience. We wait for what? And, of course, that is the coming judgment of God. Only in this age, there is mercy, because of Christ. Because soon there will be no need and no provision for mercy to any man or woman. Therefore, we are merciful in this time. 
There will only be the purity of the new heavens and the new earth and those who have shunned pardon and shunned God's mercy and repentance who are eternally in hell. Those who have shunned God when he offered them repentance, those will be the ones judged in hell. For today is the day of opportunity for mercy. These days alone, which close quickly toward judgment, we wait until mercy is extinguished and is no more in the flames of judgment, and we give mercy in this time of waiting until that day. And this is our kingdom calling to be merciful. That is why we are left among sinners upon this earth. As we ourselves are sinners and have received mercy, we are called to be like Christ and to give mercy to those around us, to be merciful as God is. We wait for God's judgment, so we are merciful even to our enemies. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So, We give salvation, or at least the message of salvation, to those around us through the mercy that we have received. As we wait for the final justice, the justice of God to descend upon the earth, we live our lives as lives of mercy. We wait in the finished work of Christ. Here is the first difficulty with waiting. We are amid the wicked who hate us as enemies, yet you and I are to be like God and to be merciful even as we see wickedness in the world. If it is out of our power to change, we pray for God's judgment, knowing that judgment is the Lord's, and wait upon his coming day, giving mercy mercy and long-suffering patience until God's patience gives way to judgment. Therefore, beloved, be merciful, for Christ has given you mercy. He is given you, in fact, to the whole world to be merciful, to be salt and light to a dying world. Therefore, be merciful, for Christians alone have a real basis for mercy in Christ's work and in God's patience until the final judgment. Be merciful, wait upon God's judgment, and do not become God's vengeance upon God's enemies. God will do this. Remember, our mercy and grace has a basis in God. The world has no basis for mercy, but Christian, you have a basis to give mercy in this world to evil people as we wait. That is, in the work of Christ, who has had mercy and patience upon the whole world and upon us. He has had mercy upon us, and he says we ought to show mercy. He says in verse 9, He is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That is, it is the love and the mercy of God towards his enemies which causes us to love and be merciful to our enemies. This is the time of mercy, the time of the gospel, the time of his long-suffering patience. And so we are told to be patient and to wait along with him. God's love creates his mercy, as Ephesians 2 famously says. God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive in Christ Jesus. That is, he was merciful to us in Christ Jesus. God's love created his mercy in us. That is, his way of mercy. God's justice and his mercy upon humanity gives a basis for our own mercy to the world. Christ purchased a people, that is, us, to be salt and light, to be merciful and bless the world. Mercy is to have love and pity towards sinners, even 
those in the consequences, and especially those in the consequences of their own sin. Christians, work, be merciful, and wait upon the Lord in this present evil age. But we are not for nothing called waiters. But then, should we work at all? If God's judgment will come regardless, then why work and be merciful? Why do acts of godliness and holiness, even if God does this in merciful patience towards evildoers? These words are especially good for Calvinists to hear, starting in verse 11 until 12. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting, and again our second term, hastening the coming day of the Lord? Brothers and sisters, Calvinists, our actions matter in God's plan. So second, we Christians hasten the day of Christ. And therefore, we were left in this present evil age to bring the day of judgment by our actions. We Christians hasten the day. Your godliness, your prayers, and your evangelism hasten the day of Christ Jesus. Our acts of godliness, our acts of mercy, and even our private acts of holiness and our private prayers Do they do anything? Yes, God says here in 2 Peter 3, they do something. Our prayers hasten the coming day of the Lord. Besides, of course, in prayer, speaking to our great God. God uses your prayers. He uses your works. God uses your mercy and grace toward the sinner. God uses your holiness. God uses the holiness of the suffering slave who works in obscurity. All of it brings closer the coming day of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the plain teaching of the text. But how can this be? I might add as well, now we bring the coming day of the Lord Jesus Christ, especially through evangelism, as we heard this morning. Christ says, the day will not come until the gospel is proclaimed, Matthew 24, 13. The gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, pray. Do good works that have been set before you by God to do, and evangelize. Give to others what is truly good news, and the Lord will come in his own time, but we hasten him. How can this be? That... In this text, we know that God is above time, and yet we hasten the day of his coming. It can only be because God uses our works, our works, our prayers, our evangelism, as secondary causes, that is, the means to bring about the end. In giving us the end and ordaining the end of his second coming, he has ordained the means as well, so that we have this duty of prayer. This duty of doing good works and the duty of evangelism is because it's part of his secret plan that to use our works. Our works do not surprise God as if he's surprised that the coming of Christ has come so early. No, God will not be surprised at his coming, but our works matter, brothers and sisters. Our actions are rewarded with Christ coming closer to us. Not only in our relationship with him, but in time when we will see him face to face. Just as every holy action is rewarded with greater communion with God in one way or another, so he approaches closer. 
Christian, your actions of mercy and patience in reflection of God's mercy and patience and holiness, whenever they are done, they matter. They hasten the second coming of the Lord. So to answer the question at the start of this sermon, why are you, Christians, citizens of a heavenly kingdom of righteousness, still in this world of darkness and sin, and you are not transported immediately into heaven? Because your actions matter. He has ordained your works. He has ordained your actions of prayer, good works, and evangelism to bring about his own day of justice. God is using you and your life to be salt and light to the nations. Although he could have chosen all and done it all himself, he chose in his sovereign decree to use us as his hands and his feet. He chose us that we might be godlike in our mercy and patience and love towards sinners. While, for while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we love because Christ first loved us. Wait upon God for what is God's. And do what hastens his day. We cannot indeed be Christ. But we can hasten his day of coming. And preach his gospel. So brothers and sisters. Do we love like Christ does? Do we have mercy? Loving pitiful sinners. Just as we were and are. For those people around us who make us uncomfortable. Do we have patience and mercy even towards our brothers and sisters? I fear we have very little patience and mercy towards even those who are very rich indeed in grace, let alone those who are wretched sinners around us and who have upon their name evil sins, brothers and sisters. Are we not patient and loving towards those who are called murderers? Or those who are sexually immoral, when we know we ourselves are murderers and sexually immoral. Do we have patience with these people? Do we have mercy and love for them, as Christ has for us? Verse 9 says, God is patient toward you. Even you, brothers and sisters, who are sinners all. If God is loving and shows that love through merciful patience in this life toward sinners, which he knows all of their sins... How much more ought we to be patient, merciful, and loving when we don't know the sins of others and we only know the surface? And as we conclude, brothers and sisters, we know our sin. We know that although our works may hasten the day of his coming, this does not mean that our works change or augment the work of Christ. (coughs) It is, according to Peter, because of the finished works of Christ that we work. Not the other way around. It does not mean that we work to finish the work of Christ, but because it is finished, we work. Because of the coming of Christ, which will destroy the world and remake it, Peter tells us, what lives of holiness and godliness ought you to live? Our works matter in the plan of God, but God never planned that our works would be included in Christ's finished accomplishment of salvation upon the cross and his resurrection and his session at the right hand of God. Our works, again, are the result of his works. We love, for Christ first loved us. We are merciful because Christ is merciful. We must remember, Christian, that although we are a kingdom of mercy, we wait upon the Lord. We wait upon the Lord and his justice. We give mercy like the Lord has. But there is only one who can give eternal mercy 
on the day of justice. We give mercy and wait for the eternal grace that only Christ Jesus can bring. Those outside of Christ have benefits of this mercy. That is, we are salt and light, and we bring mercy to them, but they do not have eternal mercy. Those who do not repent of their faith, of their faith in themselves, and rather have faith in Christ, nor even his eternal grace. This eternal mercy and eternal grace is the gift of God and not the result of works, so that no one can boast. Your works matter, but your works, however hard you work, Christian, cannot produce grace. God's grace must be given as mercy, and before it can be given, it must be accomplished by Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection into newness of life. This is our age, the age that lives in the shadow of the cross. And we wait for his coming. Do we marvel at God's works and wait for Christ eagerly, doing what is right and hastening his day? Do we desire God to judge the world that God may be glorified in his judgment and mercy? Does the reality and finality of God's coming judgment cause us to work for his glory, to hasten the day of his glory through evangelism, prayer, and good works? Repent and believe in Christ, brothers and sisters all. And those who are outside of Christ, repent and believe in Christ, hating even the garment stained by sin, but loving the sinner and having merciful, long-suffering patience and love towards all just as God has towards the whole world in this age of evil. May he come soon. May he be glorified in his justice and glorified in our works here on earth. Let us go to him in prayer. Our Lord, we are called waiters for a reason. We pray, Lord, for those things which we have no power over, like the salvation of our children. We pray we would wait. But Lord, in the hastening of the day, in good works and in prayer and evangelism, that we would do these things strenuously and in faithfulness to our children and to the people around us, Lord. We thank you that you have given us your word. May we use it. We thank you that you have opened up your gracious throne room to our prayers that we might enter and speak to you and request of you. May we use it, Lord. And Lord, we pray, as your Son came to seek and to save the lost, we ask that we might be like him in these things. Lord, as the world is, is so dark, as the consequences of its sin come upon them, and they seemingly are so confused at these things, we pray that we would be, that we would be pitying them. Lord, that these people would be the objects of our love, not because they are lovely, but because, as you have told us, you first loved us. Lord, we are not lovely, and, let, and yet you love us because you are lovely. May we be like Christ in these things. Lord, we pray that in our waiting, that you would give us strength as we are persecuted and as we are hated by the world. And Lord, we pray that we would rejoice and Look forward to that day of your second coming when the whole world will be judged and every knee will bow before you. We ask all these things in the name of your, your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.